Welcome to part two of Health System CIO's interview with Lee Milligan, SVP and CIO at Asante. In this segment, Dr. Milligan talks about how assessing the current state helped him identify his team's top priorities, how creating a transparent environment can help drive change and lead to honest discussions, and what he learned when he reached out to other CIOs for advice. From this standpoint, do you think it was an advantage that you hadn't been in the CIO role, that you did have kind of the, the fresh perspective? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The other arguments were old and stale. They were predicted by finance. They could see them coming a mile away. And so just kind of reframing it, I think, was really, really helpful. Yeah. Okay. Looking at the first six, seven months, you talked about budget season, but when you first started, were there certain priorities that you needed to, to get to right away, or how did that go? I've had a lot of ideas in the back of my head of what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so when this happened, I felt like a kid in a candy store. I was like, yeah. wow, now I have a chance to actually do some of this cool stuff. And what I wanted to do was really assess current state. What I really didn't want to do was throw out things that are working well. And, yeah, you know, my sure. predecessor did a number of things really well. And so for those things, I wanted to make sure that we're not spoiling it. And so I took some time, I took a few months to really meet with all the individual teams to understand the work they're doing and where it's working well and where it's not. And from that, a couple of themes bubbled to the surface. The first was that we didn't have great, what I'll call standard work in place for most teams. And because of that, folks, they do good work, but it it wasn't always standard work, and therefore it wasn't accountable and transparent and documented, et cetera. And then the second thing that bubbled up is we actually, at the time, did not have a process improvement methodology in place. In other words, if you're a frontline staff member and you see something that's not great and you want to make a change, we had no framework in place to actually make that change. And so I thought about that quite a bit and ultimately changed our org structure such that uh, we could begin to do some of this work. I appointed a director of innovation for Asante ITS, who is our former manager of data analytics. He's really tasked with leading us through the development of an internal process improvement methodology and framework. And we're using, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but what's called uh, OKRs. Yeah, I know a number of folks across the country are beginning to use this. I know Ed Marks uses that Cleveland Clinic. He actually sent me his. Um, okay. Yeah, that's the person I heard about it from. Yeah, he's big on it. Basically, what it is is the O is objective and the KR is key results. And basically, you identify what you really want to work on and how are you going to measure it. And in a well-constructed system, these things kind of roll up into each other. And so we've been on this journey now for about six months of developing OKRs within the system so that we can first identify what to work on to improve our processes, and then later to actually effectively execute on that and deliver the objective itself. And that has been a fantastic journey. I got to tell you, for starters, it has definitely rocked the world of leadership within ITS. Mm -hmm. Some folks hated it at first, very resistant, very difficult conversations with folks. Other folks embraced it kind of out of the gate. So it's been a really fascinating journey. One of the things that I, I've done twice now with my team, my leadership team, is I've taken them on two separate retreats. The first one was back in March, where we focused on two things. We focused on, we just received the results of our, our class arch collaborative survey. Okay. We went over that. 
And then the second was we focused on the concept of becoming what the industry knows as a high reliability organization or an HRO. And then that was offsite up in Grants Pass in a cabin, which was pretty cool. And the second one, I didn't have the money to take people someplace else. So I took them up to this mountain close by called Roxanne. And uh, we basically hiked for a couple of hours. And at the end of the hike, I had a bunch of uh, Gatorades and waters and a couple of picnic tables. And I handed out a Harvard Business Review journal article on the topic of the Toyota production system. And so we're in the mountain reading this HBR article <laughs> on Toyota production system. Um, right. And then we finished reading it and we came down and then we had a retreat at our uh, education center here on our main campus where we talk specifically about OKRs the rest of the day. And so our team is now inundated in OKRs and we're moving forward fairly boldly with OKRs. Okay. So approaching it that way, were you able to, to kind of identify what the hesitations were from the people who weren't so sure about it? I think I, I could be wrong about this, but best I can tell, it's just the typical resistance to change because it rocks right. their world and creates instability. I think most people sure. weren't sure if they would have a job. I think some of the leaders yeah. were like, wait, do I fit in this new paradigm? And the approach I've tried to take with my folks is, you know, a transparent environment where we're free to talk about what works and what doesn't work, where we can criticize, but we do so respectfully so that we can have an honest conversation about what needs to happen. And I think that concept, as simple as that sounds, was foreign mm -hmm. to most folks. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Going from there, we're uh... – certain steps or processes implemented that could, you know, start to, to move the organization in that direction? Yeah. From the OKR framework, we set up, um, and by the way, we struggled about how to frame up the OKRs. Do we have individual OKRs? Do we have team OKRs? And if so, what do the teams look like? And we ended up doing no individual OKRs, simply team-based OKRs. Okay. And so myself and the directors are one team. So together we sink or, or swim. And then the managers collectively are a team. So they have to work on things that across the board work for, for everyone. Basically forces them to work together in a way they've never been framed up to work together before. And then below that, the individual teams have theirs. It's been a really, really interesting journey. I have two main goals I set for the team. And it's based on the fact when I first came into the position, I was reading our strategic objectives over the next three years. And it's 25 pages long. You know, it's eight point font. It's got thousands and thousands of words. And when I asked my directors and managers, what are our strategic initiatives? Nobody mm -hmm. can tell me. Nobody <laughs> can tell me anything. I mean, literally, I would, ha I would get here and there some things. But for the most part, it could not focus in on what we're trying to accomplish. Right. So from a high-level objective perspective, my team knows very clearly we really have two main objectives. Objective one is to create an exceptional customer experience. Not exceptional customer service, but exceptional customer experience from end to end, from them initially learning about whatever the product is to them navigating that product as part of their healthcare work or journey. That one is really clear to my folks. And the second one is to develop and become a high reliability organization, an HRO. Every single day, my secretary puts a new piece of paper inside my office that has the number of days since our last unplanned downtime. And I have the managers and the directors and the supervisors across the system all print that out on a daily basis. 
and put it up. Mm-hmm. Because how do you deliver an exceptional customer experience if your system's going down? Right. So now everybody knows it's clear. Exceptional customer experience and what we say works actually works. And if they can have clarity on those two topics, then everything else I think can be framed up to support that. Right. That certainly makes a lot of sense to really get the framework in place as far as process improvement. And you talked about the standards too. So really the way you saw it before anything else could happen, it was important to get these things in a better place. Yeah, absolutely. And as far as having um, standardized work, is that an ongoing thing? It is. I'm focusing on a couple of key first areas that really need attention. One is our, our image and data transfer. When we transfer images or data from server A to server B, you know, what does our process look like? How transparent is it? Do we have a procedure and a policy in place? Are we following that procedure and that policy? And are the people who are doing that work accountable to the steps of that procedure? Do we have redundancy in place? Do we have double and triple checks in place? Those are the kinds of questions that, frankly, weren't uh, asked before. Yeah. And then looking at, at the first six, seven, eight months, obviously you know the organization really well, but did you find that embracing the CIO role, was that something where you kind of just gained momentum and have maybe some starts and stops, but just kind of dealt with that learning curve? Yeah. When you come into a position like this, I think most people will give you a bit of a honeymoon period, a bit of a grace period. And so my take is take advantage of it because if I don't know what a load balancer is in month one of this job, that's okay. People expect that. But if two years from now I'm asking what's a load balancer, I'm going to look pretty stupid. So, So I don't mind asking questions. And what I found from my managers is when I ask these questions on emails or in meetings, it shows them that I'm listening, that I care. And then I'm trying to understand. And I think from their perspective, what else could they ask for? Yeah, sure. Let's talk about coming from the CMIO role. In a lot of ways, I'm sure it's beneficial having that knowledge, understanding the clinicians, understanding the workflow. But in some ways, can that also be a challenge? You know, when people see you as a physician leader now taking on this different role. Yes. Yeah, that piece is huge. In fact, one one of the things I did in the beginning was, I made a list of CIOs across the country who I respected and asked for some time to speak to them. Um, I made mm-hmm. a list of 16 CIOs and reached out to all of them. And believe it or not, all of them gave me time, like almost immediately. Within oh, yeah. two weeks, I had spoken to all 16. Yeah. Which I look back on that time when I was, you know, I was nervous. I was new into the role. I was reaching out for help. Everybody stepped up. It was incredible. Yeah. Ed Marks was one of them and John Holomko is another But one of the ones that stepped up that taught me about this particular scenario was Michael Pfeffer from UCLA. He was in the CMIO role and rolled over into the CIO role. And he taught me that you need to shed the CMIO piece as quickly as possible. Mm. And he described, you know, a very confusing world where folks who interact with you don't know what things to come to you with. And so gaining clarity around that for everybody else, not just yourself, but for everybody else is really important. I did hire a medical director of informatics to backfill my position. His name is Peter Canning. He's a physician builder. He's also a programmer. He's programmed Xcode. Uh, Years ago, he built, at the time, what was the best emergency department ultrasound app and is a really, really terrific guy to work with. Super smart, hardworking, logical. I couldn't ask for a better replacement. And now what I noticed as we were interacting, he and I would go to meetings together, what I would notice is that folks would defer to me. 
mm-hmm. and they would turn to me sure. with questions. And, and I, I realized based on that experience and Michael Pfeffer's words that yeah. I needed to be out of the room. I need to right, be out right. of the room and let him spread his wings. And if he has questions and, and issues, he can come to me. But people need to begin to see him as a leader in that space. And so I've pulled back from those meetings, and it's, it's gone really well. Yeah. Has it been difficult to shed that, especially having been in the physician leadership role for a long time? Uh, yeah, people still tend to come to me with their issues around, you know, workflows and some smart text yeah. doesn't work and et cetera, et cetera. But I'm able to navigate them to the right people. And so I think that's been effective. Right. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.